Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. This morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, and then skipping down to verses 29 to 32. Hope that you'll join with me there in your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. I ask then, as God has rejected his people, by no means I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? For the gifts of God and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of of their disobedience, so also they have been now disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we gather this morning to hear your word read and proclaimed, We humbly beseech thee that you would open our eyes, that we would see you present amongst us. Open our ears that we would hear your words and open our souls that we would take those words deep within and that we might be changed. So that in hearing your word we would be changed such that we would go forth not as mere hearers but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So this past week, across much of our state and across probably much of this country, parents were moving their children into college, college freshmen moving into the dorm for the first time. I saw great images of this all over Facebook, different friends of mine, members of the church, those of you moving your children into college, taking pictures, sort of like the obligatory first day of school picture, but a picture of the dorm rooms. And I got thinking about that, that these college freshmen just a year ago were embarking upon their senior year. And as the school year started, as they took that last first day of school picture, the clock was beginning to tick on this idea of the college choice. And in that, the high school seniors, they were having to choose, where will I go to school? Where might I apply? But even in that decision, once they figured out the schools they wanted to apply to, they had a bigger decision to ask. Am I so in love with one of these schools that I might apply early decision? Or maybe I'll just apply early action or just I'll just go regular decision. Because you see, once they choose to go early decision, that says this is the school That if you let me in, if I'm admitted, I will go here. This is a binding contract. No take backs. No oops, I changed my mind without there being severe consequences. So as I think about their college freshmen dealing with that and thinking about the choices they've made and those that especially chose 
early decision. I think about this idea of, not, of binding contracts in places where there are almost no take-backs. So think about in our adult lives, sometimes when we think about buying a car, that's a major investment. Once you sign all the paperwork, once you either paid full cash or partial cash in a loan, you own a car, you can't just take it back like a shirt or even something bigger like a home. Once you've signed that mortgage, once you've signed all the paperwork and they give you the keys, you're stuck with it unless you want to go through that whole process of selling it all over again. Not easy to get out from under the car loan or the mortgage. See, binding contracts with no takebacks are kind of scary for us as human beings. They're scary. I mean, somewhere deep in our psyche, we know that buyer's remorse is always lurking around the corner. Maybe I want to get a new TV. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Will the store take it back? No questions asked. We play that game with ourselves because we know that we're fear, we have a, a fear of making a commitment. Because we're afraid that something better will come along or maybe we've bitten off more than we can chew. And so in writing this to the church, writing his letter to the church, Paul knows this about the human psyche. He knows that we sometimes have this fear of commitment, know that our human condition uh, that our minds change from time to time. And what he points out is this idea of discipleship. It's really about our relationship with God. And so he's challenging the early church that, we, that sometimes we know that we want to follow. We know we want to be disciples, but yet sometimes we fall short. We disobey God. We're disobedient to what God wants for us. That's what we call sin, and that we, by sinning, we become sinners. Now, just parenthetically, there's a game that we play sometimes with sin. Sometimes we want to like try to classify sin like, well, that's not a big sin. I mean, it's just a small sin. Because we want to avoid the big sins. We think that, they're, that there are sort of scores on these. Here's the dirty secret, folks. There's not. Sin, plain and simple, is sin. Whether we hurt one person or large numbers of people, whether we don't think we hurt anyone, whatever we do that breaks our relationship with God, breaks our relationship with each other, those are sins. Those are things that break the heart of God. So when we damage our relationship with each other, we break the heart of God and thus it's a sin. When we wander away doing whatever we think is best for us, knowing that God may have a different idea, that's a sin. Or we focus self-centeredly only on ourselves and not on others or not what God wants for us or for others, that's a sin. When we break the heart of God only to wander off and then return back to God or back to the church hoping that God or the church will swoop in like a first responder and lift us out of our troubles and save us in that instant so that we can wander off later, that's a sin. See, the things that break the heart of God build that separation between us and God. Those are the sins that Paul writes about, the disobedience he speaks of. And so what he's concerned about in today's text, he's concerned about the relationship that the church in Rome has with God, the relationship that the Jews have with God, the relationships that you and I have with God. 
But what he points out in this text is no matter where we run to, no matter how much we hide from God, no matter how we deceive ourselves with maybe trying to classify sins, that there are two irrefutable facts. The first is that the gifts of God are irrevocable. And the second, that the calling of God is irrevocable. And what he's really challenging us to think about, especially as summer draws to an end, he's challenging us to think about our lives, about our discipleship. See, as summer draws to an end, as a new school year begins, even if you don't have kids in school, the world sort of works off these sort of unwritten calendars. And there's a rhythm to them, if you will. And so even when we don't have kids in school, we still sort of follow the school calendar somewhere in our rhythm of life. And so as we start this new year, if you will, maybe it's an opportunity for us to ponder our faith. It's an opportunity for us to ponder our relationship with God, of how we live within the kingdom of God Do we do what God wants us to do? Do we follow the teachings of Christ so closely that we are wrapped up in the dust that he kicks up from his sandals? As we take stock of these questions and sort of how we might score ourselves on those points, we'll go back to what Paul writes in verses 29, in verse 29. That God's gifts are irrevocable. That means that the gifts that God gives us, that God is not going to take them back from us, but even more importantly, God has no buyer's remorse. And the second one is the calling of God upon our lives is also irrevocable, meaning that God is not going to change God's mind about calling you and me to follow him. So as we look at this idea of gifts, we look at just the pure definition of it. A gift is an asset or a blessing or a skill or a talent given by one entity to another. And the very definition, there's an implication that once the giver gives the gift, they won't take it back. They relinquish control and interest in it. So when you give a gift to the church, you relinquish control. You no longer have a dog in the hunt as to what we do with it. You give a gift at Christmas to someone, what they choose to do with it, it may or may not please you, but you've given the gift. And so we understand this when we think about gifts that we give to people and others, and every once in a while somebody wants to try to take it back, maybe especially in the charitable world where they try to sue for the use of the gifts being misused, or maybe in the estate world where there's some irregularities and people want to go to court to try to adjudicate issues. But remember, gifts are irrevocable. So Paul is telling us in 29, meaning that the gifts of God, that they're irrevocable, meaning that there's no take back, that they are permanent, that God not only doesn't want it, but God won't take it back. God doesn't want to take it back, but also that if we decide we don't want it, we can't give it back to God. God's not going to receive it back because it's a gift bestowed upon you and me. And what Paul is talking about these gifts, he's talking about things like our talents, our physical abilities, the spiritual gifts, the traits that make us who we are. And while, yes, we can't give them back, we can sort of hide them under a bush and we can let them rust with disuse, but they are still always the gifts that make us who we are. 
Because nevertheless, they are blessings that God has poured out upon you and me in our lives, not only for our own benefit, but the benefit of God's kingdom. So the question for us with this gift, if it's irrevocable, is how are we going to use them? How are we going to use these talents, these abilities, these traits? How are we going to use them to build God's kingdom today, tomorrow, and in the days to come? But the other gifts that he's talking about include things like salvation. I mean, Paul writes about this as the gift of grace and forgiveness that we receive, this idea of new birth that we get because of the resurrection of Christ. That's a gift that's irrevocable. And finally, he talks about this idea of unconditional love. The gift that he talks about, not just gifts and talents, not just salvation, but unconditional love. This idea that no matter where we roam, no matter how far we are, it's what Philip Yancey writes about in his book, Amazing Grace. This idea that we could wander into the far country and be gone far too long from home, and yet when we return to God, we find that the door is unlocked. We find a light is on. And there's a pot of coffee waiting on the stove just for us to welcome us home with this idea of hospitality. So Paul reminds us that no matter how far we run, that we cannot shake the gifts that God has bestowed upon us, that they always will belong to us. And that we will always belong to God. And so then the question for us on this morning as we think about this idea of irrevocable gifts that we need to ponder in our own lives is this. Do we realize the blessings that we have been given? Have we really taken stock of how God has blessed us and what God has blessed us with? And do we celebrate these gifts as being the best gifts? I mean, you can add all the gifts you've received in your lifetime all your birthdays, all your Christmases, all your red letter events, add all those gifts. Heck, you can even double the value of them. And these gifts, the ones from God, are more valuable by far than anything that we received. And that they are permanent. They will never fade. We can never get rid of them. God will never take them back. And so if we have them, if we receive these gifts, these talents, this salvation, this unconditional love, how will we use these gifts for the ministry of the church, for the building of God's kingdom? Because while we have them, as we begin to recognize them, what we begin to understand about them is two things. One, that we matter and that we are loved by God. And so in mattering and being loved by God, being gifted with these things, these blessings, we should share this with the world. But also in verse 29, Paul reminds it's not just the gifts that are irrevocable, it's also the calling of God that is irrevocable. Now think about this idea of calling. We think of Jesus going down to the seashore. He goes and he walks along the Sea of Galilee and he calls his first disciples. And what does he do? He just calls out to them. He calls them by name and he says, come, follow me. Now, what we read in the text, we know that sometimes these 12, when Jesus calls them together and they go along and he's teaching them, he shows them the healing miracles, we know what happens. 
Sometimes they don't understand. Sometimes they're a little dense. Sometimes they, they ask the awkward questions that really you probably shouldn't have asked. If you just paid attention, Jesus would explain it. But they ask them anyway, and what does Jesus do? He's always patient with them. Even when they might vex him, he doesn't say, oh, man, Peter, I made a mistake. Go fish. Go back. I only need 10 disciples, so take John with you. He doesn't do that. Instead, he never expels one of them. Instead, he tells them more than this. He says, I'm going to always be with you. Here's your calling. Here's your ministry. I will always be with you, even unto the end of the age. And when I am not here on earth, I will send the Holy Spirit to guide you. Their calling is irreversible, irrevocable. Or think about Peter when, he caught, when he's out on the water. Peter and the disciples are in the boat. Remember, it's tossed at sea, and they see Jesus walking out to them, and he calms the waters. And Peter does what Peter does best. He kind of blurts out things. He says, well, Jesus, if it's you, call me out on the water. So what does Jesus do? He says, Peter, get out of the boat. Come walk to me. And Peter starts. And Peter's kind of thinking, this is pretty cool. He's got his eyes focused on Jesus. And then he takes his eyes off and he looks down at the wind and the waves and he panics and he freaks out and he starts to sink. But here's what the text says. It says Jesus lifts him up. But it doesn't say, but it's implied, Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. He didn't say Peter come out of the boat and then he's looking over here. He never took his eyes off Peter. So the same is true for us. He calls us the same way, come and follow me. He calls us to go out into the world and to make disciples. He calls us to go out there and to invite others to come and to join us in this journey. I mean, one of the things that we know statistically speaking is the reason why many of you are here, if you didn't grow up in this church, is someone invited you. And I can guarantee you we have math that shows this that only 6% of the people that come to a church come because the minister invites them. This is not a good track record for us. 96%, or 80, I'm sorry, 86%. 86% of the people that come to church come because you, someone in the church, invited them. They were invited by somebody besides the minister. The other reasons that people show up is they, they find us on the internet or they just decide to walk in the door one day. But 86% of people that come to be a part of a congregation come because they're invited. Folks, this is our calling to invite people to church. Our calling is to inspire people to go on this journey with us. And what I mean by inspiration is not to tell a devotion story at book club, but no, by the way we live our lives. To show the evidence that these gifts, how they live out through us how this calling has made a difference in who we are. We are called by God to invite, to inspire, and to grow alongside each other. We are called to be, as Paul writes, a royal priesthood of all believers, meaning that each of us has a role in the mission and ministry of the church, and we might be called to do different things, but we are called to be the church both in the walls of the church but outside the walls of the church for the world around us. The work of the church is all of our jobs, not just the staff, not just the clergy, but we are called to be the church each and every day in the world around us. 
And so what we know about this calling is just as with the disciples, Jesus, when he calls us, doesn't change his mind. Now, we may be tempted to ignore that calling as if we didn't hear Jesus, or maybe even it's much like math class where, you know, this week, you know, they'll put a calculus program on a board on a college campus, and the professor will say, who wants to come to the board and work the problem, and what does everyone do? They look busy. They look around hoping not to make eye contact. But that question is still hanging in the air. Jesus' calling to us is still coming. Even if we want to try to ignore it, it is still out there. Come, follow me. It is irrevocable. And so as followers, we must live into it. So what we read in this letter today, Paul writing to the church in Rome, writing to the early Christians, writing to us, It's challenging us to the the realities of ministry every day. That the world desperately needs to know and needs to hear about this gift of salvation. And that we have been gifted to tell that story. We have been called to tell that story. And so those things that God has blessed you and me with, God's not going to take them back. We were gifted with these talents, these abilities, this salvation, this love, to share it with the world. This calling we have been given is not going to go away. We are called to share this with the world. So as we begin to understand this, that we are called to be the people of God and called to live as the people of God in the world around us, then maybe what we need to do today is focus our hearts on all of this. And to go forth into the world, convicted of its calling, convicted of our gifts, and to use them to make a difference in the lives of everyone that we meet. Not the folks that we just see here in this space, but everyone we come across outside the walls of the sanctuary, outside the walls of our homes. So may we rise up with our gifts and our calling, and go forth to serve the one who loves us most. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.